Hello Makers, welcome back to the Disrupt It Yourself podcast. I am Andrew, and you are awesome. Let's get into it. Also, Andrew, it looks like your camera went off. Okay, there you're back. All right. So, um, Sahaj, uh, let us know when we're up there. We're live. Live. Perfect. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to 96 Sports Open Hours, sponsored by 96 Sports and Lenaro. I haven't said that in a long time. But, yeah, so today is is uh, July 12th. My name is Robert Wolf, and I'm usually the one here uh, hosting this this uh, podcast. But yeah, today we have a very, a very important guest, uh, you know, someone I've been following on Instagram for a while, as, as well as uh, some of the people I know who, who kind of introduced me to this feed. But uh, Andrew from Disrupt It, Disrupt it Yourself, we will be uh, introducing him in just a moment. We're going to give him some, some uh, a whole segment here on the show to talk about all the cool stuff he's working with. But before that, I do need to share some links and just go, uh, go with uh, uh, some announcements from last week's episode. Is that okay, Andrew? Maybe give me a thumbs up. Of course. Yeah, go ahead. Excellent, excellent. So last week's episode, we met with the folks from Shiratech. Uh, Shiratech is a company out of Israel who is building some very cool hardware for the 96 boards, family of boards. And I wanna share the link here from last week's episode. It was Ramon and Guy from Shiratech. They showed us some of the cool stuff they're working on, which includes an LTE mezzanine for the 96 boards family, as well as an FPGA-based Raspberry Pi and Arduino bridge between the uh, 96 boards and uh, uh, Raspberry Pi Arduino ecosystems. So that will be very interesting. It seems the LTE mezzanine will be coming out later this month, while the FPGA-based Raspberry Pi Arduino bridge will be coming out sometime in August. Now, there will be some announcements coming out later in August, possibly a hackathon for those of you who will be attending Lenaro Connect. One other link I'll be sharing there in just a second. Actually, Sahaj, if you wouldn't mind posting that in there, the Lenaro Connect um, website. So for anyone who's interested in checking that out. And the last thing I want to share here is two blogs that went out by two of our 96 boards engineers. Actually, looks like there's three blogs there. One blog from last week's episode, one blog from some of the great upstream efforts that Mani has been working on. This one is particularly around the MediaTek X20 board. And Sahaj wrote an article on building Yocto for ARM. So, or building on ARM Yocto, right? So open embedded Yocto, some cool stuff uh, that you can read up on there. Excellent. Now, who is Disrupt It Yourself? Who is Andrew from Disrupt It Yourself? I'm gonna share his Instagram handle right here. So anyone who's interested in checking that out, and we will be posting these links as well in YouTube. So anyone who's watching on YouTube can check out the links in the list there. But this is Disrupt Yourself, Instagram.com forward slash Disrupt Yourself. Andrew, welcome to Open Hours. Thank you. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. I know. Yeah. So uh, long story short, Andrew and I have been chatting on Instagram for months now. And then yeah. finally, now this is the first time I think you and I have ever been on a call together, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great, while great. coming. Great. So, um, you know, it'd be nice if maybe you could take a couple minutes and just like introduce yourself, who you are, and if you're willing to share some information, you know, like on a personal level and on a professional level. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm 28. Um, I happen to also be a, a husband and a father. I've got a, a little almost four-year-old boy who is very interested in all the crazy stuff I do in my spare time, too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just someone who has taken kind of a, 
a long and winding path to finding the things that I'm passionate about. I, um, I happen to have lived in Mexico for a few years, so I'm also fluent in Spanish. But when I got back from Mexico, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living and uh, started you know, going to college and had no idea what I wanted to study and started studying business. Took a number of jobs and never really found anything I was passionate about or to be honest, particularly good at. And um, really, it's only been in the last four or almost five years that I've really discovered or I would say rediscovered my passion for technology. And uh, I owe a lot of that to Arduino and, you know, companies like Adafruit that were kind of pioneers in that space that got my feet wet and allowed me with a really low barrier to entry to discover kind of that creative um, technical side that I had when I was a kid, you know, and I very much feel kind of this renaissance personally for the kind of stuff I loved to do as a kid, which is, you know, and create things. When I was little, I had like little notebooks full of drawings of like inventions that I wanted to make. And one of the ones I remember in particular um, was rollerblades that would shoot bubbles, you know? <laughs> so um, it's, it's funny, like, I don't know, I kind of just rediscovered it because in high school I was a musician. I played a lot of, I wrote songs, played the guitar. And I remember feeling like that was the only thing like I really loved. And until a few years ago, I realized what I loved about music is the same thing that I realized I love about technology, which is just that ability to, you know, discover something in, in the world, like a need or something that, you know, that I want to accomplish and then finding a creative way to do that. And it has that same like creative vibe. And I feel like we compartmentalize technology as kind of this cold and boring thing. But the maker world kind of turned me on to this entire other side of technology, which is much more, you know, community driven, much more tactile. And it has that same vibe that I always had in high school when I was playing music with my friends. So yeah, and really the whole disrupt it yourself thing has kind of been a few years in the making as well. I just started tinkering with Arduino and Raspberry Pi about five years ago and started building little projects. Uh, when my son was newborn, I wanted to have some way of checking his temperature without having to spend hundreds of dollars on an infrared thermometer. So I bought a few components and made a little Altoids tin IR ther thermometer and, and that worked really well. And I thought, wow, I just, I, I, there wasn't even a tutorial for this. I just, you know, I, I started to get some confidence um, and it's all kind of been from there. I, a friend of mine recommended that I get a 3D printer shortly after that. And at that point, 3D printers were still, I mean, it's crazy to think how far 3D printers have come in just five years, because back then it was mostly RepRap, kind of really clunky looking machines, God bless them, you know, They're kind of the <laughs> grandfathers of what we love today. but. And there were only a few decent, more polished looking machines on the market. And I got one and um, learned a lot because it wasn't everything I wanted it to be, but it allowed me to dig in. And really I've gone from that point of buying one 3D printer back in like 2000, late 2012, early 2013. And now I've got like, I think six 3D printers and two CNC machines all crammed into my little office. So. 
yeah, it's been exciting. And the social media thing has just really driven it off because I meet cool people like you and other makers who are doing similar things or sometimes different and they inspire me to, you know, something new every day. And that's really what it's all about. I'm not, but I mean, my day job is I, I work in software QA. So I'm an automation engineer. I'm just really learning to use Python in my day job. But I, I mean, I work with technology, but not hardware as much as I'd like to. So I'm really not um, an experienced programmer or even electrical engineer. Although if I could go back in time, I'm sure that's what I would have studied in college. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. In a nutshell. Yeah, in a big old yeah. nutshell. Yeah. So it, I can already tell you're going to make this interview very easy on me because <laughs> <laughs> your your answers are very you know detailed. I like this. Um, yeah, so you, you mentioned a, a lot of really interesting things. I and mean, you know, you and I were kind of around the same age group. You're 28, I'm 32. But I mean, I remember when the first Raspberry Pi came out and a friend ran up to me. I was in college. I went to college a little late in life. But a friend of mine ran up to me and was like, oh, my God, you won't believe it. There's this computer. It's the size of a credit card. It can fit in your pocket and you can do all that. It boots up a desktop and does all this cool stuff. And I'm like, and I'm like, shut the F up, you know, that's not true, that can't be, <laughs> there's no way, you know, and so next thing you know, it's sure, oh, and the, the, the catch was, it's only 35 bucks, and that's where you go, you're like, no way, that's crazy, and so yeah. now, our kids, well, I don't have any kids, you know, but I hope to one day, our kids get to enjoy these things, and on crazy, crazier new levels, and, you know, we're like kind of experiencing this at, at the first stage, but I mean, you know, touched on it. It's amazing to kind of be able to grab this technology, put it in your hands, plug it in and just start making things. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. Awesome story, man. Um, I want to ask one personal thing. Where in Mexico did you leave, live? I lived in Mexico City, actually. Okay, right, cool. Almost in the heart, just south of like the center of Mexico City. Nice. Yeah. So I, I also lived in Mexico for quite a while. Uh, I was very surprised to see on some of your stories, you're speaking Spanish. Yo, yo también puedo hablar español, pero Yo soy de Estados, nací en Estados Unidos, pero me crearon en México. So, like, when wow. you see another uh, white white American speaking uh -huh. uh, Spanish, like, all out of nothing, you're like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah, it surprises people, too. I'll go to the store with my three-year-old, and I'll speak Spanish with him, and I'll get the weirdest looks like, did that white guy just speak Spanish like a Mexican? Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. just tell him I'm a white Mexican, too, but I'm not, I don't quite pass because I've got yeah. green eyes, so it doesn't work. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I mean, you'd pass almost in Mexico City. There, there's, almost, you know, yeah, yeah, or in some parts of northern Mexico, there's a lot of lighter skinned people up there. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. Well, so, um, I want to remind everyone on the call here, uh, you know, both, uh, in, uh, what is it? Blue Jeans, YouTube, and Facebook, that if you do have questions, we are monitoring the chats. So please feel free to throw them this way. Uh, you know, our guest is Andrew from Disrupt It Yourself. You can ask him questions, and if you did come here to ask any 96 Sports questions, we do have some engineers here in the channel as well to answer those questions. Um, I have a bunch of my own, and I know Sahaj here as well does, um, but I'm going to go down the list here. So why disrupt it yourself? I, I, I read on your profile you say you're into 3D printing and disruptive tools. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, how you classify what is a disruptive tool and also kind of why disrupt it yourself? Where did this come from? Sure, yeah. So um, originally, I, I went through a few different names when I only had a couple hundred followers when they were 
you know, more willing to be along for the ride of me changing my name every couple months. Uh, but I landed on Disrupt It Yourself because I think it captures um, this important junction between just the normal DIY stuff that I love to do and something more meaningful where your projects, you know, have an impact at least on your own life or potentially a business, right? I feel like um, I want those two worlds to combine. And really the idea with Disrupt It Yourself is that, and, and this sounds, sounds super grandiose and it's way beyond anything I've really lived up to yet, but it's a vision, right? The idea is that you find a need in the world and you use the tools that are available to us now to accomplish that. And um, when, you, when you really look around the community, there's a lot of that going on. A lot of people saying, or for example, I remember listening um, just the other day to a story about a girl who's like 14 years old and she's uh, learning to program so she can help her grandma with her Alzheimer's, just writing a program to like help really a quality of life kind of thing. And programming alone, even though that's just software, maybe there's no hardware component to that. But just in general, the fact that now someone who's 14 years old and has taught themselves how to program and, you know, accomplish something, it's really turning technology into a tool again in the same way that, you know, what differentiates us from the animals, right, is the tools. And for some reason, in the last 20 years, in the public consciousness, we've turned technology from a tool into... Um, most times entertainment and at best something that geniuses use and the whole vibe for disrupt yourself is supposed to be more like empowering normal people to realize that there are tools out there that you can use and you can do cool stuff with it and you can accomplish something real and valuable not just playing retro games so I see people post and I do a lot of that right but I'll see people <laughs> post like oh I, there's there's this new pie as if like people have just tied the Raspberry Pi to like retro gaming, which is a shame. Um, but just in general, it's like there are tools out there that like all these communities and, and like the efforts that companies like you guys put into making it accessible. And there's all different degrees of it. You know, someone who is really just a software guy who just programs can so easily buy a, a dev board like one of yours and use his software skills and all of a sudden be able to interface with the real world. I think that's disruptive in a way that I, I don't think we've seen something like that since maybe the internet first started. And because it's tangible and it's physical, like with the IoT stuff, I feel like it has the potential to blow the power of the e-commerce kind of web 2.0 stuff out of the water because we can do real things now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, when it comes to 3D printing, uh, my dad still doesn't believe they exist. I, you know, I've shown him, I've shown him videos, and he's like, "How can you make something out of nothing? That doesn't make sense." And and he watches the video, and he's like, "No, that's that's like he thinks it's a like a fake movie or something." And I mean, he's an older guy, right? <laughs> he might be in the call right now. Let's see. Okay, no, he, he left. But, daddy. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that. You're right, though. It is it is amazing to see. You know, you mentioned this 14 year old girl. That, that that's creating something to solve an Alzheimer's problem. This is this is a this is a new age, and you know you have this tangible technology at your fingertips, 
uh, what will we do with it? <laughs> it's good that you're that you're kind of trying to point people into the right directions. Well, I hope to. I think we're still in the early stages. I hope 10, 15 years down the line, I'll be able to say that Disrupt Yourself really did that. Yeah, you will be. You will be. Let's let's uh, let's stay <laughs> positive. I, you know, uh, the the world is a is a scary place, right? Um, watching this anime, My Hero Academia. I don't know if anyone watched that, but you know, yeah. you have villains and heroes, and and you know, use your power for good. Um. So now, um, I'll, you know, I'll let Sahaj. Sahaj, did you did you want to go up with a question here? Yeah. Um. All right. So I mean, one of the uh, things is that 3D printing is fairly complicated and what sort of the uh, advice that you would give to beginners that you know, can prevent them from, avoid, that can help them to avoid some of the more obvious pitfalls that comes with 3D printing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's, I hope there's kind of a Moore's law to the um, ease of use for 3D printers and that they're just going to exponentially get easier and easier to use. But at the same time, I'm also one of the first people to doubt that. I, and this kind of actually feeds into something that I've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, so this might be a good kind of opportunity to, to bring it up, but um, it, the community that has embraced 3D printing is really this community, right? Mostly um, hardware hackers and electrical engineers a lot of times retired electrical engineers that wanted to, you know, get back into it or kids who, you know, want to be engineers one day. And because of that, the community, I think, is it's a very hardworking group of people who are really willing to contribute so above and beyond um, what you would normally expect from them. And I think because of that, our threshold for ease of use is maybe a little bit too low in that we accept way too much um, bad design. And I think a lot of companies are even, like I worked for a company that made 3D printers and I thought they were great products, but in general, I'd say we, there's not really a lot of that mentality with a few exceptions. And I could probably plug a few of my favorite companies later on, but most companies that are making 3D printers, I don't think are really trying super hard to make them easy to use. And the ones that are, are doing it in a way that is so, um, prohibits creativity so much that it's, it's kind of hard to find. I think when 3D printers will really get easier to use, it'll be when um, kind of in the same way apps made the smartphone market take off. I think once there's a better like utility in the market for 3D printers, then I think it'll force more manufacturers to be more, I don't know, facilitate that kind of thing more. Because right now, the people who make good 3D printers, um, they make them for nerds like us. So I don't feel but like so, they care that much. <laughs> I mean, they care, so, but. So, so Andrew, like now, I, so I, I, there was a time when I was helping this, you know, a friend of mine with a startup, he was building this Rubik's Cube solving robot called Ruku, mm -hmm. R-U-K-U. And um, half of, oh, you've seen Ruku. So, so half of the robot was like 3D printed, the claws, the, the, the different levers and everything. Now, um, I was printing these parts out at my house 24 hours a day for weeks. Uh, we bought a Dremel from Home Depot, the Dremel 3D printer. That printer seemed pretty easy to use. Now, mm -hmm. 
I've been told by a lot of people that that printer is crap right now. Since then, I haven't owned another printer, but I'm kind of wondering, like, so, so you say, you know, people who are making these really good 3D printers, they're making them for nerds, and these most likely do not have a, or they have a, a, a strong barrier to entry, a high barrier of entry. But, you know, what differentiates the quality of these good 3D printers and this Dremel that I thought was pretty, I was able to just plug it in and get going, you know? Yeah, no, that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Because another unpopular opinion I have is that Dremel makes some really good 3D printers. Um, I like it, yeah. I like yeah one it. of my favorite 3D printers that I've got right now is Dremel's latest 3D printer, the Digilab 3D45. They're actually kind of starting to focus on that kind of um, segment of the market more. They've got a laser cutter coming out soon. Um, and I tried their last one, the 3D40, which is PLA only. And this one is actually, they can do PLA, ABS, nylon, and supposedly more later on. And I think um, this kind of feeds back into the same um, question about the market kind of being mostly full of nerds who are very engineering minded. This is coming from a nerd, so I'm not judging. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the problem is most of the nerds will see a product like that from Dremel and they'll think, this is not for us. This is not true 3D printing because, you know, it's not built on kind of this rep wrap backbone. So um, it's not always out of the box compatible with every open source piece of software they want to use. Um, and tech, and this is the bigger one for the Dremel that turned some of those people off in my community, which is that technically it's not compatible with third party material, which is not really true. Um, you can use third-party material with it, but you void your warranty. Of course, I'm the kind of person who voids warranties habitually. So, oh, so you're saying really like third-party spools? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're That's saying. That's why people get turned off to it because they want to be able to use anything and everything. And I, at the same time, I agree with them. And I think the problem is we get into kind of this whole world of um, trying to fit a new product into an existing market, you know, and the companies that are out there that are willing to manufacture a 3D printer that already have that kind of manufacturing scale that they can really knock it out of the park, um, they're used to old models. And, of course, unfortunately, the misnomer that is 3D printing lends itself really well to a market that's already infamous for planned obsolescence, making paper printers that are die on you after a few years because they're designed to and that have really high cost for the um, consumables like the material and that's one of the things with like drm people want to drm filament so that you can't use a material that isn't from the manufacturer and because dremel uses nfc chips um, people feel like it's a drm kind of printer and it's definitely a little, little bit more in that direction just because they sell their own material and technically your warranty only covers using their material. So if it gets clogged with a third party material, then you're kind of screwed. But I mean, I use third party material day and night on their machines and someday I'll get in trouble for it because I did a review for them, but I love them. I can't <laughs> not do it. The printer's so good and it handles other material just fine. So I just assume the risk of one day, you know, not being able to get it serviced, which is a bummer. So I kind of that comes back, I think, to the beginning, which is 
um, I think most of the companies who are willing to make a machine like that, like Dremel, they're still not ready to meet us in the middle, you know, because there really isn't a market that would facilitate it, like the app store for 3D printing. I would love to see companies um, like Moen and Kenmore and, you know, companies that make sprinkler parts and all sorts of household items and toys that could turn this on its head and, and say, you know what, let's switch our business model so that we can provide a, a 3D model for someone and they can just print a replacement part and pay us a little fee to use the model. That's the kind of thing that people in my community would like initially want to knee jerk like response to say, no, that's still corporate and we don't want to do that. They don't realize it's that kind of thing that really enables the technology. We yeah. kind of have to have that. You, and it you, would be great. You bring up like such a, a, a crazy point and I never even really, you know, it's crazy. I never thought about it this way, but everyone would want to own a 3D printer if that were the case. I mean, like you look at like the, say like a user interface with, uh, you know, it, let's just keep using Dremel as the example, but you look yeah. at like a user interface for Dremel, you know, say a screen as big as your, your phone screen, capable of connecting to the internet, capable of downloading applications, then these companies could create apps for Dremel. So like you said, like, you know, yep. here in San Diego, we have Hunter sprinklers or Hunter um, something about sprinkler systems. So like you want, you want to, you want to, you know, replace, like you said, a sprinkler head, you go download the Hunter app, pay 99 cents, mm -hmm. and then you can just print that replacement part that can apply to yeah, so many not. things. I, yeah. I think when the, when the 3D printing, uh, 3D printing craze was just getting on, this was one of the biggest uh, arguments for, you know, uh, investing in a 3D printer is like for this particular use to, you know, make replacement parts for your, uh, you know, like household items or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely was. The only problem is currently the state of things, you'd have to design it yourself. And companies like Stratasys, once they bought MakerBot, kind of rode that wave of hype about being able to print replacement parts and, you know, print toys for your kids without really realizing that we weren't quite there and that we didn't have the kind of the back end to support that. And they really flooded the market with that hype and with the, their product. And unfortunately people bought MakerBots and didn't like them and they returned them. And I think that kind of created, I think historically what we'll look back on as a, a period in 3D printing's history that's a lot like that first death of the home video game console market where like people tried too hard and they were too expensive and, and just didn't quite do enough for all of us. So there's kind of like that, that first push where it's like, okay, this is possible. Same thing probably with VR, right? This could really work. And you can kind of start to see the promise of it. You can get your, you know, you can really wet your palate with the first test of the first 3D printers. They look really good and you can imagine what they could do, but because it's just more of a proof of concept, companies like threw too much money at it and the consumer didn't get what they were promised. So a lot of people left kind of with a sour taste in their mouth. And now I think we're finally starting to get back into our second, <laughs> our second opportunity to make that happen. And I think it will still probably be, you know, at least another five years before we really start to see the whole, the whole market develop because it's not just about making good 3d printers. There's a lot of great 3d printers already. Um, and it's, it's just a complex thing that I think has a lot of moving parts and it just really needs to get the right people, the right companies and the right 
um, use cases proven before it'll really take off. If, if, if I had the space at my house, I would have, you know, multiple 3D printers. I, I think that my girlfriend would hate it because it's, <laughs> they're, so, they're still pretty loud. At least, you know, actually she finds them loud. I, I, I find that reasonable. You have but, a cat sort of do. My cats would, no, my cats would probably like it. They'd be chasing the little nozzle around. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, 3D printers, uh, hopefully eventually it just becomes, you know, an everyday thing for most people, just like your phone. You know, I, I don't see why not. You know, it, it, also you have people like in MIT who are, who are developing ways to do 3D food printing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's insane. You're, you're printing out food. That's Star Trek. Right. I mean, that's the medical industry. Right. They're printing kidneys and like cartilage and stuff like that. The technology is so universal that, you know, it's, it, we really did ourselves a disservice when companies try to push it as a way to print toys for their kids. You know, there's yeah. just so much application for it out there. And really right now, the technology is already mature in the sense that it's enabling entrepreneurs to, you know, prototype their products a lot quicker and cheaper than they ever could before. So it's already making an impact that is more behind the scenes. Like I, I save people locally thousands of dollars just because I've got so many 3D printers now that I can print stuff for people that, you know, let's say you're a young startup and you've got a product and maybe you've only got financially one shot at making it happen. So if you go and do your prototype and then go to tool and make your molds and there's some defects, you might be out of money. You might not get a second chance. But if you have a 3D printer, you can iterate on that design, you know, 20 times over without spending very much money so that you're really sure. So like it's already making an impact. It's just not um, it's just not to the consumer market as much, or at least it's kind of in between. So when when you're developing your your files, uh, say your STL files or the files that you're using to print with, what, what's, your, what's your preferred method? Like what, what programs are you using? Yeah, so now after a few years, I, my main program that I do my 3D modeling in is Fusion 360 from Autodesk. Fusion 360 is a really cool product and uh, hobbyists and students can use it for free, fortunately. And it's amazing really what it's capable of. I started out using um, a an even more simple and less feature-rich product from them that was called 123D Design, very basic. Now that I'm using Fusion 360, I think unless you have very specific needs, if you're just kind of a normal person designing you know, some product or a project, something simple, you can do everything that you would do in SolidWorks with Fusion 360. And that's a big asterisk, right? Because I'm saying if you're designing a car or an airplane or all the other crazy things that people use SolidWorks for, of course, there's it's worth the thousands of dollars that they put into it. But normal people who aren't designing something that needs to like have a visualized stress test, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff you still can do with Fusion. But um, yeah, I mean, for even if you wanted to pay for it, like if you were professional, I think it's like three hundred bucks for a license, which is a chunk of change if you have to pay for it, but nothing compared to the like several thousand dollars you can spend on SolidWorks. Yeah, I really yeah. recommend it. Cool. Yeah, no, I definitely will look into that. And it, it brings me I'm, I have one more thing to talk about, you know, a couple more questions, but I did want to ask you about something else later. Um, I saw on your story, I think it was yesterday or today, maybe this morning, that you will be featured in Make Magazine. Is this it's true? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Um, so is there, I'm, I'm looking for a teaser, a, a teaser on your article. Okay, um, so I've actually got two articles coming up, one in this issue and I think uh, one in the next one. They're little articles and I, dude, I could talk at your off all day, so I, I won't go into it too much. But um, one of the other things that has really gotten me going in the maker community is just networking. So I was at Maker Faire New York last year, and somehow a friend, at the time I was working for Dish Technologies, and a friend at work, one of his friends was like their video guy for Make, for the actual company. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm going to Maker Faire in like a month. And he's like, like, oh cool let me give you my friend's number so there was like a little mixer one day after the event and i'm up there at this bar in like a chinese part of, of new york the most bizarre setting i've ever been in just chatting with all these nerds in a chinese bar and um one of the guys uh, the friend of a friend i'm just kind of talking to him about maker stuff and like dude it's so cool that you work for make kind of this rite of passage for a lot of people um to do work for make magazine and I was like, man, I just love for a chance to do an article. And he just tells me, oh, you should talk to her. And I was like, who? He's like, yeah, my friend here, she's right behind you. She's been listening to us talk for the last hour or whatever. And I turn <laughs> and there's this, this awesome, like five foot nothing lady behind me who's just got the biggest smile on her face. And she was super sweet and cool and totally like eating up all the nerdy stuff I was saying. And I was like, oh, you're the person that I need to talk to. Can I write an article for Make Magazine? And she's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's the serendipitous way that it happened. So um, it's been, I guess, almost a year now because um, I kind of, we talked about what I would, the kind of things I was interested in and we kind of just brainstormed a little and I gave her a few ideas and there were two that she liked. So there were projects that I'd been working on. And the first one, is ironically retro gaming related. So if you like scroll back, you might find a few projects that I've done one more recently. So talking about how that one was and just the experience of putting it together and the novelty of it and it's short. So I'm kind of trying to bust my hump to show Make Magazine that I can write cool articles so that maybe nice. down the line I can write some full page articles. But for now, yeah, they're just kind of like two or three paragraph things and when I kind of get my name out there. Cause I, as you can tell, I have no trouble articulating my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, so. absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked on, I'm stoked on this. Like I said, th this has been a great interview so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I might as well so, do the same thing and just write it all down. Get, get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So make, make magazine, I, I should say make magazine, but make maker communities in general. Uh, you know, I, I was just up at the maker fair in San Francisco. I'd love to get to go to the maker fair in New York. We'll see, but um, make communities are amazing. You know, the people there are just so great. Yeah, and like you're saying, you know, you were having a conversation with someone at the bar. You know, they, they make at maker fairs. They usually have like these events. You know, people, uh, some of the companies on the floor, they'll end up throwing these little special events, or you know, people will all gather and meet somewhere. And um, like you said, you know, you just everyone's just happy, smiling, and enjoying each other's company and talking about tech and making stuff. Yeah. So uh, absolutely. So much cool. enthusiasm. And I think it all stems from that. It's just like people who like, and for me, for example, like I'm someone who grew up with ADD and like had a really hard time in school. I always felt like I was kind of dumb for some reason, even though everyone told me I was smart. And it, it kind of, I think that it's a lot of people like me who have always been way too creative and always just wanted to do stuff and 
get their hands on something new and all of a sudden they found a community of people who like make cool things on their own and i think that's a really powerful thing to bring people together yeah, does, does, does anyone else in the call have uh questions for for uh andrew here i don't i don't know if um you know we, we've been one. talking a lot okay yeah go ahead so i mean uh, I'm sure there are a lot of DIY 3D printers as well, and people like to tinker with even if if even if a unit isn't DIY. So, in terms of controllers, would you prefer something like a single board computer, like a Pi, or you know more Arduino like, or something that's very uh, you know dedicated controller, especially built for a 3D printer? So, just just want to know your preferences on that. Yeah, I think honestly we're at a stage where we should move away from having so much Arduino in our 3D printers because now there's software out there that can really plan tool paths in such a sophisticated way that Arduino really can't handle. Arduino was, you know, it, it very much enabled a lot of the early affordable 3D printers and some early and still some 3D printers you might grab off of eBay will just be like an Arduino Mega with a motor driver shield on top. And they work and it allowed us to get a lot done, but I wanna see it evolve more. So I think the 3D printers that I've most liked over the last few years um, have definitely moved into kind of that higher end, more like 32-bit kind of segment of, you know, proper, proper SOCs that are running more sophisticated tool paths and you know just enable a little bit better quality and less jitteriness and have a, a lower propensity for failure so yeah i definitely think i'd like to see the arduino stuff kind of dissolve away arduino has its place it had its place in my um, history as a maker but I, I i'm happy to see more sophisticated boards coming onto the market there's like a smoothie board i think which is one of the early ones that uh, had a lot more beef behind it, and I've only heard good things about them. It's more expensive, sure, but I think 3D printers, sometimes you get what you pay for anyway, so there's no reason to skimp on the most important part of the 3D printer. So, You, you, you know, on that point also, right, like, you know, you're taking an Arduino, you, you, you kill a lot of the, the, the uh, potential functionality, right? I mean, when you're using a proper SOC with, um, with you know, the power that you can get i mean you open up the chance of like offering video monitoring systems cloud communications yeah. iot like it, you know to its to its core right so i mean yeah. um what was it we we did a uh we did a show with uc robotics another open hours this was we've done a several with them but uh they use the bubblegum 96 so one of these 96 boards to basically monitor an entire room of of 3d printers uh, they've done it to to run 3D printers, and then not only that, they monitor them, and then they also control them from anywhere in the world. So you could basically have like 40 printers running on a Bubblegum 96, something like that. Well, they do, I think, like 10 per, per board. And then uh, you can set your file, you can watch it being built, you can do everything with it. And so now people are going to be able to run, you know, full-blown 3D printing labs to fabricate, you know, large quantities of, of um, products. Yeah, and I think the problem is right now people are trying to accomplish that with 3D printers that are driven with an Arduino and some of kind of this classic Marlin firmware, very basic and kind of 
cluttered, honestly, at this point. And supplementing that with something like a Raspberry Pi. And that's cool as an open source project, but like I kind of said a minute ago, I just feel like there's a better way to do it. And starting off with the right hardware instead of trying to um, have the adventure of making your Raspberry Pi talk, you know, synchronously with an Arduino. We all know like with products like the Arduino Yoon, that you can make it happen, but it's not always easy to make Linux and Arduino talk. And you just introduce more, you know, like I said, propensity for errors. And that's, none of us want to spend all of our time troubleshooting our 3D printer or its hardware. We just want our prints to turn out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um... Andrew, I want to I want to give you a chance. Like, I don't know if, if you did you want to talk about any of your favorite 3D printers? I know you said earlier that you said, oh, later I might plug some of my favorite 3D printers. Did, did sure. you want to do that? It's up to you. Yeah, real quick. I mean, I talked about the Dremel. The Dremel's one that I have a high opinion of. Um, I feel like I should let them know that I gave them some love, but they'll probably get mad at me for using third party material. So we'll, <laughs> we'll let them discover that if they want to. Another one that I've really been enjoying is um, the BCM 3D Sigma. They're from Spain. It's a high-end machine, and I feel like um, where they're at right now, they're one of the companies that's doing a better job of user-friendliness. Um, it's always hard because, like, now that I have experience, it's probably harder to know, you know, how easy it would be for someone who's new. So that would be a perspective I'd love to get. Maybe you guys need to get a, a Sigma at some point. But they're amazing because they they have independent extruders. You can have one extruder printing, and then when you need to print with the next material, it moves over and parks, and then the other one comes out and does its job. Dual extrusion is really useful. I won't get into that because I could talk about that for another 30 minutes, but it's a really valuable um, addition for this kind of 3D printing that I do, which is FDM, the fused deposition modeling, where it does layer by layer with hot plastic. That second material allows you and for me, it's mostly this, use dissolvable material. You can do supports that dissolve away in water. Love that. Or in uh, with ABS, there's a chemical that'll dissolve hip supports and stuff. It's super cool and it's hard to do. Not many 3D printer manufacturers have done a good job with multi-material printing. And it's kind of, I think, the next um, frontier and a lot of companies are forging into that. And that's kind of my focus this year with uh, reviewing 3D printers is trying to get my hands on the companies that are taking a new approach to multi-material. And I've got another review coming up later this year for a product that does that as well. It allows you to print four materials. It's called the Palette by Mosaic Manufacturing. So yeah, I mean, right now between the Dremel and the Sigma, those are kind of the two that I love the most. I've also, I've got a few others that are decent at basic 3D printers and they're good to kind of get started. But as far as like cutting edge that really add value, the Dremel, because I can crank out ABS prints and nylon prints all day and night and not have warping, it's, I, I think people are crazy for overlooking it because there's just not too many printers anywhere near that price range that can do that. So yeah, those both get my stamp of approval. Nice, nice, cool. Okay, so um, yeah, when, when I end up buying mine, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll get an update from you so I can get the perfect one. Now, some, some questions are. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Andrew, I have a couple of points to, to ask, Andrew. Uh, could you characterize the printer's 
uh, or your list of favorites in terms of mechanical accuracy and in the second chance or uh, second option will be the quality of finish that you see because it's a consequence of the first but uh, mm -hmm. for me there are important factors to consider mm -hmm. yeah so there's there are multiple factors that contribute to that the hardware is part of it and the software as well right how well it can plan your tool paths and then there's even a configuration element physically which is um, the way your 3d printer is calibrated for movement because even if your tool paths are really well generated your hardware can handle it if your 3d printer isn't calibrated properly um, and it tries to accelerate too quickly then you'll get artifacts there's really unfortunately and that's why troubleshooting a 3d printer is so hard there's so many pieces to it. Um, there are different motion systems as well for moving, you know, the extruder around. There are 3D printers that move the bed up and down um, or 3D printers that move the whole gantry up and down, and they all have their pros and cons. There's uh, systems that use different configurations of the belt. It's, it's really hard, and honestly, as much as I like to think I've got a really good grasp on everything that's out there. I really don't yet. I've only been able to use maybe 10, 12 3D printers, and I've tried to you know, get my hands on different uh, styles and configurations. So um, a lot of them are similar, and some of them are more unique and offer more accuracy. There's like HBOT, which is a, a similar configuration. There's And there's so much you can get it into it but just kind of dealing with the way the motors and the belts work to move that extruder around um, and how that affects the motion of the extruder so that you can get really accurate prints and because i haven't used them all i can't speak to it and that's kind of what my crusade is as a, a social media 3d printing and diy guy is i i need to have that opportunity and i am so grateful to the companies who let me borrow their 3d printers to review because as much as I just want to review it, I also just need to get my hands on it. And I don't have, as much as I wish I did, piles and piles of money to just burn on 3D printers. <laughs> I really do rely on these companies to give me a chance to get experience with it. So I think it'll still be a while before I can really say like, you know, this is the most accurate way to um, accomplish uh, high resolution 3D printing, but I'm just not quite there yet. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen everything from the, you know, four hundred dollar three D printers, and if you if you're really clever and you're you're good at calibrating it, you can you know get a certain level of quality. And then more expensive three D printers that you know right out of the box can get that quality or better. It's it's hard to yeah. quantify. Yeah. So uh, I hope that. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I joined later, so I don't know if he mentioned that before, but. Uh, you are obviously investing a lot of time in this testing and research. Are you putting mm -hmm. that, uh, the results of that research in some sort of list or, or qualification or at least some Yeah, so that's actually, uh, I'm glad you bring that up because I've been kind of throwing around, um, I, I have my own information and a lot of times one of the things I do when I reach out to a company is I'll kind of tell them that part of the value that I want to provide is 
giving them feedback, but that tends to be more internal. So I'll say, hey, let me review your 3D printer. Um, I'll do a social media for exposure, and then I'll also give you a report when you're done. Because my full-time job is QA, so I'm kind of used to that world of running something through a gambit of tests and getting the results, and then you know, you know, giving it a good write-up, and you know, do all the cool little graphics to uh, just kind of quantify everything. So I've tended to do that more internally with companies that I've worked with, but. Along with what you're saying, I have had the idea for a long time to kind of also turn Disrupt It Yourself into a bit of kind of a, a stamp of approval or kind of get my own like Metacritic type thing for 3D printers. And maybe if I, yeah, exactly. So you could say Disrupt It Yourself approved or who knows? Who knows if anyone, yeah. um, you know, never mind. Someday people will want to do that. I like your positivity. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I can of course. Really if I can elevate the brand of Disrupt Yourself to that point where people would be enthusiastic about wanting to earn like some kind of approval from Disrupt Yourself, and maybe that means bringing more people under that, that roof, you know, so I can have multiple people testing and we can agree on a specific um, way of reviewing the 3D printers and give them a score that really has, it's not just like, I really like this, so I'm going to give it an eight and a, eight and a half, no. But like there's specific criteria because I kind of do that on my own for companies, um, but I focus mostly on user experience. I think I, I need to get, I need to spend more time on that because it is something I've had, you know, bouncing around in my head as something that would have a lot more long-term value for Disrupt It Yourself as a brand and more value to my followers because then they could really have a reason to come back every time I do a review because they could know what, you know, what kind of criteria I use and how well a 3D printer scored, and that would allow you to compare it. But yeah, maybe I just need yeah. to get some other smart friends to work with me that can help me do that better. So, but currently you're not hosting your, your reviews anywhere, like for the 12 printers that you said you've worked, worked on? Yeah, so I'm, I've done YouTube videos over the last like year to year and a half. Um, of course, I post a lot of things. I have a website, but I haven't really gotten to the point where I'm writing a lot for my website. I started working with a company for a while that does reviews, um, Aniwa, but um, they're international, and we just had a hard time, I think, working together because of the long distance and for different reasons. But who knows? And I mean, I would definitely be interested in making something like that work. Uh, it just requires some kind of meta. Like I need to sit down and like plan things out and decide yeah. how I want to do it. And unfortunately, this is the sad part of it all is I have a day job, you know, which I'm escaping from for a little <laughs> break right now. But and, a, you know, and a family. So I like to come home and spend time with them. So what I get done sometimes is in the wee hours of the night or on the weekends when I can justify leaving them to their own devices. So. Yeah, I, it, it's a slow process evolving Disrupt it Yourself into something, I think, more and more valuable. But I think the trend is upward, so awesome. keep an eye on me. Yeah, so, so um, Andrew, we have, like, while we were talking right now with Guillermo's question, we have, I think, seven or so questions that popped up in the chat. Um, okay. We have roughly, we have roughly, I mean, I don't know how long you have, you know, you have, you, I know you have to get back to work. So if you have time, feel free to spend as much time as you want on these questions. Otherwise, um, 
there's about eight minutes left before the top of the hour. So maybe I we can knock out as many. I probably have about eight minutes left until my laptop dies even. So oh, let's okay. just see so what we can do. <laughs> let's get these knocked out. So first one, this is from Hightao Zhang. Hightao, uh, this is actually from UC Robotics, the people who make the, the, the Bubblegum 96, as well as the people who are doing that uh, 3D printing software. First question, any open source SLA, SLS printer like Formlabs? Um, open source, I'm not familiar with any that are completely open source. But I also, okay. honestly, have focused mostly on FFS, FDM. So I'm honestly a lightweight when it comes to okay. SLA. Actually, now I have to interrupt. I think there is one, and I've met the co-founder, Aleph Objects with their Lulzbot and Jeff Moe. Are you familiar with any of those? Um, I'm familiar with um, Lulzbot, yeah. But do they have an SLA machine? I don't know about SLA. I know they're either 100% or near 100% yes. open source. Yes. Both open source software and open source. Yeah, definitely. So um, Lulzbot, they do the Taz line of 3D printers and they have the Lulzbot Mini. Uh, they are definitely, if there's any company out there making any kind of 3D printer, they're the most open source of them all. I think they even use open source software. I think they do documentation with open source, like they're very hardcore open source. So they get serious props for all of that. Cool, yeah, and so uh, Todd did share some links later on in the chat that, you, that anyone who's interested can go check that out uh, for the Lulzbot. Thanks, Todd. Um, ne next question is, how do you like fully open sourced 3D printers like Ultimaker BCN with dual extruders? Um, so I, I, I don't know if that's maybe a two part question, is it? Like how how do I feel about fully open source 3D printers? I don't know that the Ultimaker is fully open source, um, or at least I don't think they release all of their designs as soon as a new printer comes up. I could be wrong. Um, the Ultimaker is great. It's on my list of 3D printers, like the Ultimaker 3 that came out this year, I think. Um, it's on my list of machines that I want to try because they have a novel approach to multi-material. They have like a single extruder with two nozzles, well, it's a dual extruder, right? But one of the nozzles actually retracts a little bit when it's printing with the other. So that's one machine that I'm pretty desperate to get my hands on, but I haven't used it. So I'm hoping that I can convince them to send me an Ultimaker 3 to play with sometime. And then I'll have a let's, better let's answer. Absolutely, all right. Um, next one, any comments about very low price, open sourced yet, but sounds popular 3D printers like Creatility? Creality. Creality. Oh, there's an I missing there. Okay. I thought I was reading it bad. Creality CR10. So, um, yeah. any comments about the very low priced, not but not open sourced Creality three uh, CR10? I've got a CR10, and I think um, on the, in the world of low cost 3D printers, um, there's something to be said for them. They're not without their issues, but for the price, you can get a lot of mileage out of it. So, I think someone who um, is a little technically capable, you know, they're not going to have to tinker with it as much as some of the really cheap 3D printers like the A-Nets out there that are like all acrylic and just super dirt cheap. I think if you spend, you know, your four, $500 on a CR10 and that's all the money you have to spend, you can do a lot and, you know, really have a good time with a CR10 and get some mileage out of it. Cool. 
uh, another one from Hightail. All those were from Hightail, by the way. Another okay. one from Hightail is how big, how big do you think the gap between open sourced slicing software like Cura and proprietary slicers like Simply Simplify 3D? The gap is narrowing. So I was a big and am still a big supporter of Simplify 3D, big fan of uh, kind of their user experience with their software, just the way things are organized. Um, I, I've used it basically since I started using a 3D printer, which is funny. I think my first machine must have been, you know, four or $500, and that software alone is another 150 So um, some people will criticize it because you could get another super cheap 3D printer almost for that much. Uh, but there's still some things they do really well, and the one staple for me is the fact that you can manually define your support material. You can choose exactly where it goes, and um, instead of trying to play around with auto-generating support material, which can be hit and miss. So I still have it for, for that reason, but I don't feel like they've been adding new valuable features as quickly as they used to. And Cura, ironically, I was pretty anti-Cura for forever, and I still have some pretty, pretty big complaints. It's pretty slow. Um, it's missing some of those features that Simplify3D has, but they've also picked up the pace like crazy. It's actually an open source project from Ultimaker, they own Cura, it's their software, uh, but it's gained some serious ground and it has now some of its own features that Simplify 3D doesn't. So yeah, to kind of answer your question, the gap is narrowing. And um, for me, honestly, if it weren't for a few features, I wouldn't need Simplify 3D as much as I used to. I could almost get by with Cura if it weren't for that manual support stuff. Who knows? Nice, Ben, you know, you know your stuff. You haven't <laughs> been stumped on anything yet. Okay, so. Uh, uh, this one's from Todd, and he wants to know, we have two more. Uh, what does Andrew think of Aleph Objects? Yeah, so that's, they're the company that does those open source. They do the lulz bot. So we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, I've heard not great things about the Task 6, which came out a long time ago now. I'm guessing they're working on a new machine, and hopefully we'll work out the issues they had. The Task 5, I heard, was uh, really good. And I've actually heard their Mini, the Lulzbot Mini, is their most reliable printer to date. Uh, it's, it's a smaller one, but if you only mostly print enclosures, like a lot of us spend 90% of our time is just printing enclosures and parts mm -hmm. for, you know, electronics projects, you could totally get by with uh, a Mini like that. I've heard that's a great machine. Cool, cool. Uh, last question on here, it looks like, um, and then we'll do some closing real quick, hopefully before your battery dies. Um, yeah. Andrew. Have you, and this is from Da Zhu, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, who also, uh, you know, praised the interview. He says the interview is going great so far. He says, mm -hmm. Andrew, have you played with deltas and trinamic ICs? Um, so I actually have really wanted to work with deltas for a long time. When I was at Maker Fair, I approached a couple of the bigger companies doing deltas at the moment. Um, like CME CNC, they're kind of the biggest name, I think, in the Delta 3D printing world. And I haven't, I came really close. I don't know why things fell apart. I thought I was going to get a hold of one of their machines to review. I did get kind of a funny little, um, that sounds mean, because someone worked really hard to make it. But I have a, a small Delta machine, and it's, I'm having a serious brain fart right now because I can't even think, oh, Biku. It could be BQ, BQ, it's B-I-Q-U. They have a little Delta called the Magician. 
and I so have wanted to play with a Delta of any kind for a long time. So I got in touch with them and they were able to send me one to play with. Uh, it's, it's a different approach, of course, to 3D printing because it doesn't um, manipulate Cartesian coordinates. It just has, you know, three pillars and it moves the arms up and down and the effector moves in, you know, delta coordinates. Um, and it's, I, I'm sure there's pros and cons. I just haven't spent enough time with deltas yet because there aren't that many companies making delta machines. And the ones that do apparently don't think I'm cool. So I haven't been able to convince someone to send me a decent Delta machine to play with. And for the same reason as well, I'm not as familiar with their um, electronics or their firmware because I haven't had that opportunity to dig into them like I would with, you know, another machine. So um, feel free to go tweet at see me CNC and tell them to send Disrupt Yourself a 3D printer review. And then uh, I'd be happy to give you some more insight. That's my official so response for now. Andrew Dazu just posted in the chat. He says, I can send you a machine if you want one, Andrew. Dang. Okay. Ah, hey. All right. So um, there we I'll, go. Andrew is, I'll, I'll give him my email address and then um, I'll hook you two up together. All right. Sounds good. Hey, yeah. Andrew, can you post your contact info, your email? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So, so Da, if you're, if you're interested, you can actually just get a hold of Andrew directly. Um, he'll be posting his info in the, there you go. Disrupt yourself at Gmail. Um, how much battery do you have left? Let's see. I'm currently at 10%. Oh, and it has okay. a little so danger up. symbol on it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's answer Todd's questions. I'm sorry, everyone who's, who's still watching. If you have more questions lined up, we're going to do these last, is, is uh, these last two questions okay, um, Andrew? Yeah. yeah okay. Last two questions from Todd, and then we're going to close out. Um, but uh, here we go. Todd, two huge markets or questions about usage markets. Two huge markets that have become totally closed and proprietary is agricultural products, uh, examples, tractors, uh, combines, um, implements, and automotive. Does Andrew know of projects helping to make A and B accessible? Um, agriculture, I haven't seen too much. I mean, the most agricultural pr uh, projects I've seen um, deal with like doing your own, what do they call it? Like urban farming stuff. And I've seen like, robotics that do farming. That's the most 3D printing related thing I've seen there. But as far as automotive, um, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen projects around recycling automotive parts for filament and that's it. I mean, I might have to, you may have found one that stumps me a bit. I'll have to do some more research um, in those two areas. I've, I follow a bunch of blogs that post a lot of articles across the whole span of the 3D printing world. And that's one that I don't feel like I've seen too much about. Maybe that just means that somebody needs to, you know, kind of break some ground there, ironically. Andrew, this is Todd. I'm a generation wedgie. I'm not as old as Mad Dog and I'm not as young as you as Robert. But I remember the days. I remember seeing it. Farmers in the field, tractor breaks down. It would actually effing work on it or jury rig or make a part themselves. Same mm -hmm. with automotive. Nobody can do that anymore. In today's modern tractors, when you're down during harvest season, you're looking at ten to twenty-five thousand dollars an hour in mm -hmm. combine charged rent time. So they yeah. have to wait till a part flies in from John Deere, and it's insane. Yeah, I'm actually glad Guillermo here is mentioning Jay Leno. Uh, Jay Leno is really big uh, 
on 3D printing parts for his classic cars that he fixes up. Um, I'm pretty sure even on his show, he's talked about it a little bit. So I think there is a, a bit of that going on. I mean, I know, who was it? A big auto, auto manufacturer uses a bunch of Ultimakers, I think even, for some of their manufacturing more. I think it's like making jigs for their automated manufacturing processes. They'll use like little 3D printed pieces that can stick in so they can mount a bunch of parts. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. It seems like people in that area who are really tied, and that kind of goes back to the home stuff too. These companies have created a business for themselves around um, charging a ton for tiny little parts. And I think that's really sad. The problem is in a lot of those worlds, we can only get away with parts that we can uh, use that are made out of plastic. And there are metal 3D printers, but they require like inert gases and metal powders. So not too many farmers are going to have lab equipment, I think. Um, but anything that you can 3D print out of plastic, and if somebody's you know familiar enough with agriculture and can identify um, the most valuable things that could be made on a 3D printer in that world, I think there could be really cool projects around facilitating that kind of thing. And I'll bet farmers, as technological as they become in the you know last generation, I think a lot of them would be happy to pick up anything that would save them that much money. I'm sure you'll agree. There is one more question. Um, I've seen people 3D print normal like uh, a wood feel material or metal feel material from regular 3D printer from spools. How does that work? Yeah, so they'll use a binder and um, a metal powder, but it's really just an aesthetic thing. And in fact, they're they're less structurally sound than plastic because of when you're printing with plastic, it's uh, an, a homogenous material. It's completely one material. So it interfaces well with itself. When you're printing with these um, metal powders or even some of the carbon fiber, and some people will argue with me on this because apparently there are some good carbon fiber composites out there that are like nylon and carbon fiber. But for the most part, most of the composite materials available for FDM printing are more of an aesthetic than um, a practical value. They're fun, they look cool, but they're not gonna make your parts as strong as metal or carbon fiber. There is one company out there that makes a really cool 3D printer called the Mark One and Mark Forge, I think is the name of them. They 3D print with a normal, like a nylon or another you know, plastic, and then it has like a special extruder that actually feeds um, either Kevlar or carbon fiber and maybe even some other stuff as it prints so I can embed these continuous strands. Uh, those I think would be super valuable in that industry, in either of these industries as well, just because they're a lot stronger. But yeah, the metal powder stuff is fun and I've made some pretty stuff for my wife for, you know, Valentine's Day or something, but it's not really <laughs> going to give you strong stuff that you want to use in, in a, an application that requires metal. I've seen a machine that uh, prints uh, 3D out of powder met uh, metal and then goes mm -hmm. into an oven that fills the metal. Mm -hmm. And that's a similar process as sintering that uses uh, pressure and, and heat to fuse the met metal in uh, one solid piece. I think that's the future for that. I think you're definitely right. And there's, there's one company in particular that 
I think they may have recently had an IPO there. I can't remember exactly, but there's a, a at least one big company out in the industry right now that's trying to forge ahead, really making 3D metal desktop printing a thing. But I would, because that's a new frontier, I would expect it to be a few years before those are really available to um, businesses, and then probably at least a decade before any of us are going to be printing metal at home. But that's fine, because most of the people who would want to do this would be willing to drop, you know, $10,000 on a machine that can crank out metal parts day and night. That's super valuable. That one goes in the, to the six figures, so probably aim to the service world type of operation. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And that's good, too. Great. Okay, so this is awesome. This is this is so much fun, Andrew. Um, you know, I, I hope everyone's okay with this, but we do have to shut it down. Uh, you know, we've gone about 10 minutes over the hour. It is usually an hour long broadcast. That's why. So, uh, Andrew, <laughs> you get the last you get the last word before I go into the closing announcements. So, you know, is there anything you'd like to say at the end? Um, well, I, I guess for me, it's just I, I really want to see more people who have the technical expertise and get involved with even more of the physical, you know, like I also work with CNC machines, but 3D printers, because uh, guys like you have a lot to contribute. I'm uh, just learning to program and get into some of that other stuff. And like, I'd love to learn to design PCBs, but there's a lot that people with more of the technical ability can really contribute to this community that's starting to become, and I don't mean this to be derogatory, but full of a lot of hobbyists. So the more intelligent, talented, and prepared engineers we can get into this world, there's there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. And I'd love to, you know, anybody who wants to add me on Instagram, um, send me a message if you've got a project idea. You know, I, I want to be pushed by my community. I want to find people who are smarter than me so we can work together and I can learn from other people. That's really where how I've gotten to where I am. It's not from posting pretty pictures. It's because people have found me and reached out and I've been able to collaborate on projects and it stretches me. So I, I need that. I'm hungry for that on a daily basis. So that's it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun. Very, very nice and, and, and well said. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew, you are welcome anytime. We'd love to maybe like, you know, a few months down the road, have you back on here, give us some updates Please. on what you've been working on. So yeah, you're always welcome uh, on the show. So thank you so much as well for taking the yeah. time to do this. Um, as Andrew did mention, I do want to share one last time here. Uh, please go check out his Instagram. You know, he's not joking. There's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Um, he shares all the things he's working on. Um, one in particular, the latest one was a, a, a control uh, kind of grip for the for the uh, switch, the Nintendo Switch. I hate grabbing those little controllers. I never even thought that you could create something like this. So that's awesome. Um, also want to share uh, his YouTube channel. So also take a chance, go check out his YouTube channel. Um, he did mention that he does do reviews and share um, his different builds there as well. Thank so you. thank you, Andrew, once again. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, anytime, awesome. let me know. I'm going to have to head out because my computer is really about to die. So that's it's okay. Great. We'll catch you later. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give announcements on next week's episode. So you take care, Andrew. All right, you too. Thanks. All right, thank you. All right, everyone who's still here. Next week's episode, we will be meeting with 
two representatives from Hello Chava. So uh, Hello Chava is an application or a program that you can use. I'm going to read off their website now, but basically it allows you to confidentially post your phone number everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. Very interesting concept. Basically what it does is it creates a separate work number for you that you can share your info with anywhere while keeping your personal number private. I tried this software out on my phone. It works like it just works. It's pretty amazing. You download the application. They give you a free trial. It creates a phone number for you and it allows you to just text, talk, do whatever you need to do um, to, uh, to basically keep yourself private while simultaneously not hindering uh, your ability to communicate with the world. <clears throat> now, this is perfect for people who use Instagram or any other social media because um, you know there are options to post your phone number and stuff like that. Once you start getting a bunch of telemarketing calls, uh, just change it up, right? <laughs> Anyways, we look forward to meeting with the folks from Hello Chava, uh, uh, which um, I'm going to say their names right now. It's Isaac and Merrill. So Merrill and Isaac from, from Hello Chava will be joining us next week. We look forward to seeing you all. Again, we'll be broadcasting live Thursday the 19th at 4 p.m. UTC, which translates to 9 a.m. PST, 9, 10, 11, and 12 noon Eastern time. All right. Uh, thanks again. Uh, anyone who uh, would like to stick around, we're going to turn off the recording slowly and uh, we'll head into after hours. All right. Bye, YouTube. Bye, Facebook. Bye, everyone.